Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 204 of the GDPR Weekly Show, the number one GDPR podcast worldwide. And coming up in this week's episode, we have news that Pilton College, the Montford School and Tarmel College are amongst several schools involved in the data breach. We then have news within the UK that the National Cyber Security Centre is urging UK organisations to remain vigilant to potential Russian cyber attacks. We then have news that ecclesiastical insurance is paying out £30,000 after a data breach. And then we travel to America where Claire's Accessories is paying $350,000 compensation after a data breach. We then have news of yet another data breach at Marriott Hotels. And we then travel to California where Chef's Toys has had a data breach. We then have an update on an article we ran last week about a data breach at customer.io and it's now apparent that the customer.io data breach is affecting more than just OpenSea. And we then travel to the office of Washington DC where the Office of Personnel Management and Peloton have agreed to pay 63 million US dollars in compensation after some data breaches. We then travel to Belgium where the Dutch Data Protection Authority is being told that it's being too strict in its interpretation of some aspects of GDPR. We then travel to Virginia in the USA, where benefit plan administrators have had a data breach. And we then have an interesting court ruling on which state law should apply to a data breach. And the court is saying that it's where the servers are physically located. So that could set a really interesting precedent for the future. So please do listen to that article. We then travel to Montana, where Lending Tree have had a data breach. And then to Florida, where well diners have had a data breach. We then have a warning that US healthcare institutions are at risk from potential ransomware attacks from North Korean sponsored agents. We then travel to China, where there's been a potentially massive data breach by Shanghai police, which could have released the details of billions of Chinese citizens. And then finally for this week, we travel back to Brussels, where the European Court of Justice has told the Austrian Post Office that it must inform data subjects who their data has been passed to. So as always, a wide range of articles for you this week. We hope you find the information in the articles useful and informative. If you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. Thousands of British school pupils have had their private details leaked online by a cyber gang. Hackers stole private data including photocopies of children's passports, disciplinary records and child protection reports relating to vulnerable pupils. It's understood that the hackers plundered five schools and a sixth form college. The gang, called Vice Society, then uploaded the data to the so-called dark web after the schools refused to pay a ransom demand. The leaked documents include named Year 9 students at Pilton Community College in Barnstable, Devon, who were classed as vulnerable and working from home during the height of the pandemic early last year. Other files stolen from the De Montfort School in Evesham in Worcestershire revealed details of three students caught up in an alleged exam cheating ring. Another file named Remember of Staff investigated for a serious breach of the school's code of conduct after swearing at a pupil. The leak also includes a list of four students excluded from the Pools Catholic College in Sunbury on Thames, Another file named people accused of theft and criminal damage, and another named a student who had been excluded after headbutting a fellow student and carrying a knife hidden in blazer lining. Stolen pupil data was also leaked from Tarmel College, St Helens, Merseyside, and Mossburn Federation in Hackney, London. 
Vice Society is believed to demand advance and payments from the schools and publishes data online as a punishment for their refusal to operate. Bruce Allen, head teacher at De Montfort School, said, The Vice Society contacted us repeatedly in an attempt to extort money. We did not engage with any of their requests and all information was reported to the police. Police supported us throughout this time. The attack has proven to be very upsetting for all involved. Work to restore the system is still ongoing as we are working through methodically to strengthen our security. Mossbourne and Carmel College said the incident had been reported to the authorities. Mike Hill, principal of Carmel College, said, We did not engage with the threat. We continue to work through our investigation into this incident, but the well-being of our students and staff are absolute priority. We have reached out to all the schools involved and will bring you any comments from them in the next verbal episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The National Cyber Security Centre, part of GCHQ, has urged organisations not to let cyber security staff burn out as it could lead to errors. Its guidance told bosses to give frontline cyber staff breaks to recharge. It says it's really important at the present time as security services are warned the UK must be braced for a heightened threat of Russian cyber attacks. Paul Madison, NCSC Director for National Resilience and Strategy, said, From the start of the conflict in Ukraine, we've been asking organisations to strengthen their cyber defences to help keep the UK secure, and many have done so. But it's now clear that we're in this for the long haul, and it's vital that organisations support their staff through this demanding period of heightened cyber threat. We'll produce new guidance to help organisations do this, and I would encourage them to follow our advice to help sustain their strengthened cyber posture. The Ecclesiastical Insurance Office, the EIO, has apologised to an abuse survivor, Gilo, for breaching his confidentiality and has paid £30,000 in damages. Gilo was sexually assaulted by the late Garth Moore, a former Darston Chancellor, after his long struggle to tell senior church figures about his ordeal. In 2016, the Church of England settled his claim for a similar sum and initiated the Elliott Review, which later called for significant reforms to safeguarding procedures. The next year, the EIO, the Church's insurers, were responsible for compensation payments to survivors and victims of abuse, published Gilo's surname in a letter online, despite his wish to protect his identity. This week, the EIO apologised to Gilo for the data breach, agreed to pay damages of £30,000, and to enter into further mediation with Gilo and a review of his case. At the time of the Elliott review, the EIO issued a press statement that accused the report of containing factual inaccuracies. In 2020, Mr Elliott condemned the revelation that the National Safeguarding Team had responded to his recommendations by initiating closer ties between insurers, communication officers and legal staff. Responding to the mediated settlement on Monday, he said, Since I produced the report, EIO have made comments on national television, on their website and in evidence of the inquiry, regarding the accuracy of my assessments, claiming that they were flawed. These damaging statements are completely untrue. Despite this, they were never publicly withdrawn, and no attempt has ever been made by EIO or the church to set the record straight. Telling the truth is important, and when that does not happen, trust is damaged and lost. Gilo also welcomed the mediation from EIO, over the repeated public dissembling around the review into my case, the Bishop mandated to implement the review recommendations, the then Bishop of Crediton, now the Bishop of London, the Right Reverend Sarah Mullally, and the Secretary General of the Archbishop's Council, William Nye, remained silent for every question and request for help on this. Eventually, the subject access request revealed complicity between the Archbishop's Council, NST and Ecclesiastical, and so they sought to work together on reputational management. He continued, it is disturbing that a three-day data breach, which we think was likely to be accidental, has also had almost as much value as the abuse settlement with an impact lasting for decades. 
In fact, I took home £3,500 more than I did from the original settlement. It shows how derisory the abuse settlement was in the hands of the Church of England insurer and lawyers. His solicitor, Richard Strawer, said, The outcome of this case speaks for itself. Ecclesiastical initially treated the claim as a claim for a minor data breach, but I've now paid substantially more by way of damages than would ordinarily be paid for a simple breach. In addition, their CEO, Mark Hughes, has provided an unreserved apology, and they've agreed to a further mediation about the wider issue of their public treatment of the Elliott Review. By settling the matter in this way, they have in reality acknowledged that the data breach occurred in a wider context of EIO failings towards survivors, some of which were explored in IICSA, and that those failings significantly aggravated this data breach. I hope that these events will be part of an urgent and radical reshaping of EIO's behaviour to survivors and the full implementation of the Elliott Report. The Bishop of Buckingham, Dr Alan Wilson, who was present at the settlement meeting, said, Churches and insurers tend to say that they incorporate survivor experience in response without actually doing so. The church produces big rhetoric about engagement while fashioning lessons learned reviews that drag on for years without anyone seemingly learning any lesson. Meanwhile, our insurer still is well clear of any external independent accountability while parading and hiding behind its guiding principles. A spokesperson for the Ecclesiastical Insurance Office said, We do not comment on the details of individual claims. We are sorry for the distress towards the complainant and have apologised unreservedly. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. If you're a regular listener to GDPR Weekly Show, then you might remember that back in episode 107, we brought the news of a data breach at Claire's Accessories. Well, this week, Claire's Accessories has agreed to pay $350,000 to resolve claims it mismanaged the 2020 data breach that compromised sensitive information. The settlement benefits consumers whose personal information may have been compromised in the Claire's data breach between April the 7th and the 17th, 2020. Claire's is an accessory store with locations seen in mails around the USA and UK. In 2020, the store was subject to a data breach of at least seven weeks. Hackers infiltrated Claire's systems through its sales force failed. Through this access, third parties were reportedly able to insert code into Claire's e-commerce platform that allowed hackers to steal payment card data. Consumers quickly took legal action against the retailer, arguing that the company should have prevented the breach. Plaintiffs in the data breach class action lawsuit claim Claire's also mishandled the breach by failing to identify and resolve the threat in a timely fashion. As a result of the company's latest notice, consumers could have unknowingly had their payment information stolen for weeks, the class action contends. One plaintiff in the case says she suffered more than $700 in fraudulent charges after hackers stole her information to Claire's data breach. Another plaintiff says that while he hasn't been the subject of fraud, he's been overwhelmed with phishing emails as a result of his stolen data. Claire's has not admitted any wrongdoing but agreed to resolve these allegations with a fund of up to $350,000. This amount would be solely used to pay consumer claims. Additional payments from the company would cover attorney's fees, administration expenses, and other costs. Expense reimbursement payments include compensation for bank fees, interest, postage and mileage, up to three hours of lost time at a rate of $19 an hour, $19 for each charge that fraudulent charges reimbursed, and up to $50 for credit monitoring and identity theft protection first as a result of the breach. Expense reimbursement is capped at $250 per class member. Extraordinary expense reimbursement payments compensate for unreimbursed monetary losses that occurred as a result of the data breach. This includes unreimbursed fraudulent charges and identity theft expenses. Extraordinary expense reimbursement is capped at $3,000 per claimant. Class members can also receive one free year of experience identity works, identity protection services. A link and redeemable code has been sent to each class member with a settlement notice. The deadline for excluding the objection is August the 25th, 2022. The final hearing for the Claire Settlement is scheduled for September the 27th, 2022. 
In order to receive a payment from the settlement, class members must submit a valid claim form by September the 24th, 2022. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. If you're a regular listener to GDPR, which you showed and you'll know that we've mentioned Marriott Hotels a number of times. Indeed, we've mentioned them in episodes 17, 18, 21, 31, 43, 48, 51, 74, 85, 86, 103, 105, 115, 116 and 167. Well, this week, Marriott Hotels has had yet another data breach. It's understood that bad actors have reportedly made off with 20 gigabytes of data from Marriott Hotels, which apparently included credit card information and internal company documents. The unnamed actors behind the theft told data breaches that it broke into a server at the Marriott Hotel at Baltimore Washington International Airport in Maryland late last month. The group shared screenshots of customer credit card authorization forms, including full card details, and said its members were in communication with Marriott, although the hotel chain has now stopped talking. We were acting like a Red Hat organisation and they just stopped communicating with the spokesperson for the gang, said. So-called Red Hat hackers are the less ethical cousins of White Hat hackers, the latter of whom often operate with them from the organisations they target. Both Marriott and the miscreants said no money had been exchanged, although the group did admit that cash may have been the reason why communications dried up. It appears the crew asked for some kind of reward or payment following the security breach. Marriott went silent for no reason. It might be because of the high pricing, but we are always willing to find a deal with our clients and told Marriott that we can provide all the discounts in the world, the thief said. The attackers claim they are an international group that doesn't encrypt the data their victims so they don't want to do business and say they don't attack governments or critical infrastructure. According to the statements made by Marriott, the attackers use social engineering to access a single employee's computer. Marriott said they have no evidence of was access files beyond what the person they tricked had access to and said they contained a breach within six hours. Marriott said it has to notify between 300 and 400 people, both guests and employees, due to the breach. In a statement, Marriott said, Marriott International is aware of a threat to use social engineering to trick one associate at a single Marriott hotel into providing access to the associate's computer. The threat actor did not gain access to Marriott's store network. Our investigation determined that the information access primarily contained non-sensitive internal business files regarding the operation of the hotel. The incident was contained to a short period of time. Marriott identified and was investigating the incident before the threat app to contacted the company in an extortion attempt, which Marriott did not pay. The company is preparing to notify 300 to 400 individuals regarding the incident. Marriott has also notified law enforcement and is supporting their investigation. If we get any further update from Marriott, we will to bring it to you in the next episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To California now and a data breach at Chef's Toys. Chef's Toys sells a wide range of equipment to commercial kitchens, including refrigerators and freezers, knives, cookware, cooking tools, serving and bar equipment. Chef's Toys has confirmed that they experienced a data breach after receiving reports by customers for unauthorized charges on their credit and debit cards used to make purchases on the Chef's Toys website. According to Chef's Toys, the breach stored in the names, credit card numbers and debit card numbers of certain customers being compromised. On June 24, 2022, Chef's Toys filed official notices of the breach and sent out data breach letters to all affected parties. According to most recently available information, on March 29, 2022, Chef's Toys started to receive reports on authorised payment card activity from customers who made purchases on the company's website, chefstoys.com. In response, Chef's Toys conducted an internal investigation but failed to identify any authorised activity. 
However, the company also enlisted the assistance of the outside cybersecurity professionals who detected a line of malicious code that was surreptitiously placed on the Chef's Toys online store. This malicious code was designed to capture customer data entered into the website, including credit and debit card numbers. It was subsequently determined that the unauthorised party had access to the customer's payment card information between November 12, 2021 and April 26, 2022. Upon discovering that sensitive consumer data was accessible to an unauthorised party, Chef's Toys then reviewed the transactions placed over this period. On May 31, 2022, the company completed its process coming up with a list of affected parties. On June 24, 2022, Chef's Toys sent out data breach letters to all individuals with credit or debit card information which compromised the result of the incident. If we get any update on this from Chef's Toys, we will of course bring it to you in the next very episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. Last week we brought news to the data breach at NFT marketplace OpenSea, but this week it's emerged that the data breach may be larger than first thought, with the data breach being at customer.io. Customer.io says a now-fired senior engineer transferred to an unnamed external party email addresses gathered by six of its clients. The company is not revealing how many emails are now at heightened risk of phishing attempts as a result of the deliberate actions of the former employee. Customer.io did not identify the other affected companies or specify the sectors in which they operate. The affected parties have been alerted, the company says. The incident underscores the continuing threat posed by insiders who account for 20% of all security incidents according to the most recent Verizon data breach incident report. An undisclosed third-party investigations firm retained by Customer.io did not find any additional evidence of email compromises. Customer.io says it has now improved its intrusion detection system and immutable logging to provide more proactive notification of data exfiltration. It has also restricted access to its production systems and data stores and reviewed access and authorizations for critical services. Access to the data in customers' accounts by Customer.io employees is now opt-in as a setting and turned off by default. Customers now grant Customer.io's support team access to the account for a limited time and only when they choose to, the company said in a statement. Customer.io staff will not be allowed to export customer data even with access, it says. If we get any further update on this from Customer.io, we will just bring it to you in the next episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com To Washington in the USA now and the Office of Personnel Management, the OPM, and its contractor Peloton have agreed to pay $63 million in relation to a settlement in a class action lawsuit. The lawsuit alleges that OPM and Peloton compromised personal information of the then current and former federal government employees and detractors as well as certain applicants for federal employment. OPM and Peloton deny they've done anything wrong, but have agreed to settle the lawsuit. The settlement benefits consumers who suffered losses in connection to the Office of Personnel Management's 2014 and 2015 cyber attacks, or Peloton's 2013 and 2014 cyber attacks. OPM is a federal agency that serves as a human resource for federal government employees. This agency is responsible for retirement benefits, insurance and other benefits for federal employees. To be eligible to make a claim, the class member's personal information must have been compromised in one of the data breaches previously mentioned, and they must also have suffered an out-of-pocket expense or lost compass time. Under the settlement, each claim will be valued at $700 or the actual amount of the claim, whichever is greater, up to a maximum amount of $10,000 per claimant. Class members must submit a valid claim by December 23, 2022. Wished it was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. 
to Europe. Now, and the Dutch Privacy Watchdog, the Dutch Data Protection Authority, has received a big slap on the wrist from Brussels in a privacy case that is causing a lot of commotion. According to the European Commission, the Dutch Data Protection Authority interprets privacy legislation too strictly, hindering entrepreneurship in the European Union. The issue leads to lawsuits in the Netherlands and causes unrest within the authority itself. The legal battle is about the extent to which companies may collect and distribute privacy sensitive information about them without the consent of citizens. The issue plays a role, amongst other things, in the dispute between the Dutch Data Protection Authority and streaming service Virtual TV, in which the Council of State may make a decision on Monday. Virtual TV broadcasts video images of amateur matches via the internet for, among others, players, trainers and fans. More than 150 clubs used it until the Data Protection Authority imposed a fine of €575,000 on the service at the end of 2019, at which point Football TV then went bankrupt. According to a privacy watchdog, the profit motive of Virtual TV could never constitute a legitimate interest for the broadcasted images without the individual consent of players and the public. According to the European Commission, they feel that the Dutch Data Protection Authority has misread GDPR and case law on this matter. The strict interpretation by the Dutch regulator constitutes a serious obstacle for companies to process personal data based on commercial interest because they should receive permission from every data subject, the Commission said in a letter to the Data Protection Authority. According to Brussels, the Dutch Supervisory Authority does not strike the right balance between the right to data protection on the one hand and the freedom of an undertaking on the other. The Commission ends the letter with an invitation to the Dutch Data Protection Authority to change its position. In response to this letter in March 2020, the Dutch Data Protection Authority chairman, Alid Wilson, refuses to reconsider his opinion. Wolfson fears that if purely commercial interest may be a reason to process unsolicited personal data, this will lead to a situation in which extra sensitive personal data is collected faster than less privacy sensitive data. I am strongly convinced that this cannot be the case, Wolfson said. At the end of 2020, the Midden-Netherland court ruled that Football TV does not have to pay the fine of €575,000. According to the court, personal data may sometimes also be processed when there's only a commercial interest. The Dutch Data Protection Authority has appealed against this decision to the Council of State. We're watching this case with interest and we'll bring you any updates right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Return to America now and to Virginia and Benefit Plan Administrators is a company that serves as a third-party administrator for self-insured benefit plans. The company confirmed that it experienced a data breach after an unauthorized party gained access to the company's computer network and sensitive consumer data contained on the network. According to the company, the breach resulted in the full names, social security numbers, addresses, dates of birth, gender classification, claims information, Medification information and medical diagnosis and conditions information being compromised. On June 15, 2022, the Benefit Plan Administrators filed an official notice of the breach and sent out data breach letters to all affected parties. It's understood that the breach data pertains to individuals associated with Alpha Natural Resources, Non-Union Viva Trust and Williamson Employment Services. If we receive any more updates on this, we will of course bring it to you in the next web episode of the GDPR Week Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To South Carolina now, and an interesting legal precedent. On June 28, 2022, a federal trial court in South Carolina ruled that a group of consumers could proceed with common law negligence and gross negligence claims if they could meet the state law elements where the breach service was located, which in this case is Massachusetts. 
This case involves the Blackboard data breach, which we've mentioned many times here on GBOE to show. A little bit of history, Blackboard provides data selection and maintenance software assistance for administration, fundraising, marketing, and analytics services to various charitable organisations, including healthcare, religious and educational institutions, as well as various foundations. According to the last action complaint, Blackboard was subject to a two-part ransomware attack commenced on February the 7th, 2020, and continuing through to May the 20th, 2020. The complainant alleged that cyber criminals first infiltrated Blackboard's computer networks, copied plaintiff's data, and held it to ransom. The threat actors attempted to prevent Blackboard from accessing its own system, but that tactic failed. Blackboard paid the ransom in exchange for a commitment that the threat actor would permanently destroy any of the access data. Plaintiffs took the issue with several aspects of the security event, claiming, amongst other things, that Blackboard did not comply with industry and regulatory standards for security by neglecting to implement security measures to mitigate the risk of unauthorised access, utilising outdated servers, storing obsolete data, and maintaining unencrypted data fields. Blackboard failed to provide timely or accurate notice. Plaintiffs claimed that they did not receive notice until July 2020 at the earliest, and were told that the information such as social security numbers and bank account numbers had not been compromised. In contrast, Blackboard's September 29, 2020 public 8K filing with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission stated that social security numbers, bank account information, usernames and passwords may have been exfiltrated during the ransomware attack. The court initially believed in October 2021 that it lacked sufficient information to determine which state's law would apply so in light of Blackboard's headquarters being located in South Carolina, and presumably its servers as well, the court decided to apply South Carolina law. However, the parties conducted additional discovery following the court's ruling, and Blackboard stated that its domestic data centers were located in Massachusetts, Texas, California, and New Jersey, and the servers housing the plaintiff's data were located solely in Massachusetts. The parties agreed that South Carolina law principles applied to this action. Under South Carolina law, with respect to torts, the governing law is the law of the place in which the injury occurred. The plaintiffs argued that the South Carolina test meant the law of each plaintiff's state of residency should apply because the injury occurred there. Blackboard, for its part, argued that South Carolina law should apply because all security decisions were made at Blackboard's headquarters in South Carolina. Ultimately, the court disagreed with both of them. The court found that the injury occurred where the servers were attacked which in this case was in Massachusetts. The company's decision was made in South Carolina, may have contributed to the breach, but they were not the last act necessary to establish the cause of the action. As for the plaintiff's argument, the court stated, the actual identity theft, emotional distress and time when all money spent to mitigate the harm all flow from the initial injury, the exposure of the plaintiff's personal information. Plaintiff's alleged injury and the last event necessary for Blackboard to be potentially liable in tort was a cyber criminal's breach into the personal information data servers. So this is a very interesting ruling because it may of course yet be challenged, but if it isn't, then it means that for data breaches, the appropriate law to be considered will be the law wherever the servers were located, which was subject to the data breach, which of course may or may not be in the same state or even in the same country as the company involved or indeed its customers. So we will continue to follow this with great interest and bring you updates right here on the GPL Weekly Show. To Montana now, and on June the 29th, 2022, LendingTree LLC, an online lending marketplace based in Charlotte, North Carolina, reported a data breach to the Montana Attorney General's Office. According to the company's data breach notice between mid-February 2022 and sometime in June 2022, a code vulnerability likely resulted in the unauthorized disclosure of some sensitive personal information. 
Lending Tweed discovered the vulnerability on June 3rd, 2022. It appears to have begun informing affected individuals on June 29th, 2022. In its data breach notice, Lending Tweed states that the vulnerability in the code no longer exists. The sensitive personal information that may have been accessed or acquired includes individuals' full names, states of birth, street address and social security numbers. Lending Tweed's notice provides no explanation as to what it means by code vulnerability how its data can be taken or by whom. There's been a media report that the data is now freely available on the internet, but according to that report, LendingTree has denied that the data circulating on original with them. If we get any further update on this from LendingTree, we will of course bring it to you in the next episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To Florida now, and earlier this year, Well Diners reported a data breach after the company discovered unauthorized activity within one of the company's email accounts. As a result of the breach, the names, states of birth, social security numbers, driver's license numbers, treatment information, health insurance information, contact information, prescription information, and other medical and healthcare related information to certain individuals was made accessible to an unauthorized party. On July the 1st, 2022, well Diners filed notice for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights regarding the December 2021 data breach, indicating the company estimates the breach affected 38,401 individuals. According to the most recent information, the Well Diners breach was first detected on December 2nd, 2021, when the company noticed suspicious activity within one of the company's email accounts. Upon this discovery, Well Diners established the help of security professionals to investigate the incident and determine what, if any, consumer information had been compromised. The investigation revealed that there was unauthorised access to the account between October the 30th, 2021 and November the 11th, 2021. Once Well Diners confirmed the unauthorised access, the company then reviewed all emails, files and attachments within the affected account. On March the 11th, 2022, the company completed this process, reporting that the data types leaked as a result of the breach included consumers' names, dates of birth, social security numbers, driver's license numbers, treatment information, health insurance information, contact information, prescription information, and other medical information. Subsequently, on May 6, 2022, Well Done has issued data breach letters to all individuals' information and been compromised. Finally, on the 1st of July 2022, Well Done has provided the official notice to the breach to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights. If we get any updates from Well Done, we will of to you in the next episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. The threat of ransomware is picking up for U.S. hospitals, their partners and the patients with data they collect. A recently disclosed ransomware attack at a payment vendor could have exposed patient data for more than 650 healthcare providers, including those at Arizona-based non-profit Banner Health and Nevada Physician Network Renown Health. While the exact number of patients affected is unclear, it could be one of the biggest healthcare data breaches this year. In addition, the federal government issued an advisory on Wednesday warning healthcare and public health organisations that North Korean government-sponsored hackers have been targeting the three using a particular form of ransomware for the past year. Ransomware is especially malicious tool for hazards used at hospitals, where IT downtime has proven to have real effects on patients and outcomes. As a result, hospitals may be more willing to pay a ransom to recover use of their systems than other companies. It's understood that the North Korean ransomware is a different style of ransomware, allowing hackers to select specific files to target without providing specific instructions to make payment. That makes it especially malicious as the victim has little information about reclaiming their data. The FBI, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency and the Department of the Treasury have issued an advisory against the malware ransomware 
while North Korean hackers have been using since at least May 2021 to target health organizations. Agencies are advising health organizations to maintain offline data backups, use secure networks and train employees on phishing and other suspicious activities alongside their normal cybersecurity routines. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To China now, and China's cabinet has stressed the need to bolster information security following a huge leak of personal data that could be the largest cyber attack in China's history. A state council meeting emphasised the need to improve security management provisions, raise protection abilities, protect personal information, privacy and commercial confidentiality in accordance with the law. These measures will allow the public and businesses to operate with peace of mind. The official Chinese news agency didn't directly reference the breach, and other state media agencies have so far been silent about the incident. Earlier this week, unknown hackers claimed to have stolen data on as many as a billion Chinese residents after breaching Shanghai's police database. The purported theft of more than 23 terabytes of information has exposed potential data and security lapses. If verified, the massive data leak could be a black eye for the Chinese administration, which has in past years gone after tech firms such as Didi Global for data security violations. Questions remain about how the unknown hackers apparently gained access to the data run by the Ministry of Public Security's Shanghai branch, which joined to online posts included data detailed news activity from popular Chinese apps, addresses and phone numbers. A seller had asked for 10 Bitcoin, worth around 200,000 US dollars, in exchange for the data. If we receive any further update from the Chinese news agency or indeed the Chinese government itself, we will of course bring it to you right here on the Weekly Show. And finally, we go to the European Court of Justice, where on June the 9th, 2022, the Advocate General of the European Court of Justice delivered an opinion on case C15421, a reference to a preliminary ruling from the Supreme Court of Austria filed on March the 9th, 2021, concerning the interpretation of Article 15 of Regulation EU 2016-679, otherwise better known as GDPR, and of the Council of 27 April 2016, on the protection of natural persons with regard to persons and personal data and on the free movement of such data and repealing Directive 9546EC, General Data Protection Regulation, which establishes the data of subjects' right of access to their personal data being processed by data controller. The Austrian Supreme Court asked the European Court of Justice to clarify the scope of Article 15, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph C, which establishes a data subject's right to obtain from the data controller information on the recipients or categories of recipient to whom the personal data has been or will be disclosed. In a nutshell, the referring court asked whether it was correct to interpret the provision as requiring the data controller to provide information on the recipients when the data has already been disclosed and to limit its obligation to information on categories of recipients when the data has not been disclosed yet. According to the judgment, it's not up to the data controller to determine the extent that the information will be provided, but it's up to the right holder to decide whether to access information concerns specific recipients or the categories of recipients. This interpretation is confirmed by the difference in the, in the structure of revision, such as Articles 13 and 14 of GDPR, which based an obligation on data controller, and Article 15, which instead considers the data subject to hold a right that cannot be limited by the data controller or at its own discretion. This is tolerated by Recital 63 of GDPR, which provides the right of the data subject to obtain information about specific recipients to whom the data is disclosed. According to the ruling, Recital 63 also makes clear that the purpose of the right of access is to enable the data subject to verify their personal data is lawfully processed, which implies that the data subject must be able to verify 
that data has been disclosed to authorised parties. In addition, the judgment cited the ECJ case law in which the court affirmed that the right of access provides a means through which the data subjects may exercise the other rights established by Articles 16, 17, 18 and 21 of GDPR, namely the right to rectify, delete, restrict processing of or object to processing data. The right of access is also necessary to enable data subjects to take legal action in the event they suffer harm and to allow them to obtain the compensation provided for by Article 79 and 82 of GDPR. Without information on the recipients of the data, a data subject would be prevented from exercising those rights against them, thus depriving the aforementioned provisions of their effectiveness. Finally, the judgment pointed out that Article 19 of GDPR requires the controller to communicate to recipients to whom personal data is disclosed, i.e. data process, and that any request for rectification, erasure or restriction of both of the data, thus implying that a data subject must be in a position to verify that those subjects have complied with such requests following data rectification. So, according to the judgment, to enable data subject to exercise their rights under GPR to 15, paragraph 1, sub C, must be interpreted as requiring the data controller to provide information on recipients to whom the data is disclosed. However, the judgment highlighted two scenarios where this obligation may not apply. Firstly, when it's impossible for the data controller to provide information, for instance, because the risk have not been identified yet. And secondly, when the data controller can prove that the request for the data subject is manifestly unfounded or excessive, pursuant to Article 12, Paragraph 5. The case at issue originated from a natural person exercising his right of access against the Austrian Post Office, the main provider of postal and services in Austria, which refused to communicate any information on the specific recipients to whom the appellant's personal data was disclosed. The Austrian Post Office only stated that it processed the applicant's data in the context of its activity as a publisher of telephone directories and that it provided this data to business customers for marketing purposes. The data subject took the case to court, claiming that the information thus provided did not satisfy the requirements of Article 15, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph C. However, both the court of first instance and the appellate court dismissed these claims, holding that the data controller is allowed to provide only information on categories of recipients, since Article 15, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph C of GDPR, it refers to recipients or category recipients. The appellant pursued his claim before the Supreme Court of Austria, which stayed the proceeding and referred a request for a preliminary ruling to the European Court of Justice. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com We hope that you've enjoyed this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show and that you found the information useful and informative. We do really appreciate your feedback, so please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com with any comments you might have about the articles we've raised this week or indeed any suggestions you might have for improvements to the show. The GDPR Weekly Show is a insurance production. Please be advised that any advice given during the show is general in nature and should be not be taken as specific legal advice. You should always seek legal advice according to your own specific circumstances. Until next time, bye-bye.